We all have books we know we should have read. People recommend them. They discuss how reading the book tilted the access of the universe in a different direction. If you're like me, these lists and piles are long, and we may never get to read all of them. Today's episode discusses a book that I've long been told to read, and it has tilted the access of my own world. Our guest discusses the importance of this particular book in opening the large questions we should all grapple with in childhood and adulthood, and the importance of reading to our survival. So my reading history for me was a act of survival. Um, growing up was very hard living in the South, being um, the only Muslim in the whole county, one of very few people of color, it was very lonely. And uh, books and reading was an outlet to escape kind of the reality that I was living. Today, a conversation about Lois Lowry's novel, The Giver. Though often classified as a young adult novel, this book exposes so many ethical and moral questions about society, individuality, emotions, memory, adolescence, adulthood, history, and tensions between dystopian realities and utopian visions of the world. I'm Peyton, and this is The Rhizomatic Reader, a podcast designed to bring people and books into conversation across space and time. Today's guest is Farhan Saeed. Farhan was suggested as a guest by Emma Larkins, who appeared on episode R5. Farhan and I are also great friends. We attended LSU together, and over the past few years have built a strong friendship centered on social justice and education and the world. I admire Farhan for his tremendous love of people, his willingness to take risks and try new things, and his strong commitment to cultivating the relationships in his life amongst friends and family. We recorded this conversation in July of 2021. You know, the question I always start off with for people on the podcast is that I like to talk to them about the history of their reading life, uh, what they, how they would broadly conceptualize the way that they have developed a relationship with reading or how they remember reading or anything they want to talk about related to their reading life, really? So my reading history for me was a act of survival. Um, growing up was very hard living in the South, being um, the only Muslim in the whole county, one of very few people of color. It was very lonely. And uh, books and reading was an outlet to escape kind of the reality that I was living. And so mm -hmm. um, I remember like every day coming home from school and like grappling with like, like these feelings that I had, but you know, at such a young age, you like, you know what the, you can feel it, but you don't really understand it. And so books was a really a way to kind of just leave that, that moment, that experience and really like, examine a life that's outside of like what I was living. And so 
I remember reading books like sci-fi and reading like these fairy tale, like utopian like societies, which you know lends really well into the book that we've chosen uh, for this one. But it was a way to imagine like life where like I didn't have to feel the sadness and loneliness and numbness all the time. And I couldn't grapple like understanding those feelings, but I know that they were feelings and the feelings didn't feel good. And so hmm. I remember like I was like growing up, I had to like really struggle with a lot of things and like having to work really hard. But one thing I didn't have work hard was reading and like reading was something was second nature to me. And so every book I could get my hands on, I would read and, you know, Growing up, there wasn't a book that I ever read that I never put to put down, didn't finish front to back. Like cool. that was kind of a goal for me. And so I don't know if this is a thing, but growing up, we had this program called Accelerated Reader mm-hmm. in school. And um, like that was my jam. Like that was like my my like domain where I would read so much where I became like principal of the day and all these awards for like just reading. Like I was like, damn, people are appreciating me for like just reading and like that is where I felt like I really dived into the love of reading because not only did I like to read like a variety of books, but with this AR, what we called it, you got tested on that reading. So it helped make me like reflect a lot on what I was reading and has really cultivated this like love for reading that I've had uh, in my life. And so like the earliest memory I have is reading like, I don't remember the book's name, but like, I remember where I was. And I remember, um, I remember I was um, in our old house by a window raining. It was like pouring outside, but I remember just being like wrapped in a blanket and um, just like, just being so into the book that like three hours go by and I don't even know it's gone by like that. And that's how, like, that's like my first memory of like reading a book and like the power of words. And, you know, that's why I love reading. Cause they're like, words are, you know, they're just words if you just look at them, but when they're put together in a certain way and style, like they mean something and they're so powerful. And that is something that's like stayed with me. And so that's, Another reason why I view like reading and books as a form of poetry, because they're words that individuals have put together to create this story and it's so beautiful. And yeah, and that's kind of progressed me into kind of, you know, into my doctoral journey where now I'm reading for something that's very critical. And a lot of the work that I'm reading is, is you see it today with everything that's happening, like systemic oppression, racism, like, you know, racism, liberation, you name it. Like a lot of these, what I'm reading, like are critical scholars. So I think like I've seen kind of accumulation of like reading for survival and that's still happening today, but just in a different way. And so- Oh, that's interesting. So you think that reading theory and stuff in graduate school is like reading as a form of survival. Yeah. Mm. Because, you know, mm-hmm. like it's kind of like similar to the way like I like I've always been able to like reflect but it wasn't until I learned some of these like theory and critical work and decolonizing work that I really understood kind of like the the oppressions that are out there really understood what racism was out there because um like again like words were a way of survival because again I as someone that's been marginalized and a term that's been put on me this marginalization like I was able to have words now to really understand 
the things that I go through, things that other people go through. And so again, like words and books and reading is still an act of survival. And that, yeah. Yeah, that is really powerful. Now I want to, I want to go back to your childhood just for a minute, because, you know, you've talked about accelerated reader before accelerated reader. Did you grow up in a house that was like an active reading space or did you really fall into reading because of accelerated reader? I would say I'd always had this curiosity to read before that program. I mean, my parents would sign up us up for a book club, um, like the library, they had like program for young kids and stuff like that. And so that was something that like initially, like um, I did and excelled at. And so it wasn't accelerated reader was like the first notion of me reading, but like my parents really cultivated us to, to read and learn. Um, and so while they themselves weren't much of readers, they knew the importance of reading. And so, you know, at a very young age, and I'm talking like four or five, like I remember my parents taking us to the local library, signing us up for like the like the like program for young kids and like giving mm-hmm. us acclimated to, to books. And I remember going to the library every single day, like always asking my parents to take us to the library because you know, I would get 13 books in like three days, I'll be done with all 13 books. And so like, mm. that was something that like, instead of being like, oh, you're reading too many books, they love that. And so they really, really encouraged my brother and I to really read. And so, um, yeah, like, it was just like this, like badge of honor that I wore to having a library card. Like, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I thought it was so special. And mm-hmm. so I, and like, my parents would like, you know, help us out with a couple of books, but then they would let us explore the library and be like, go look at the books. Like, and so I would just take an hour just reading the back of the books just to see if there's something that was interesting. And so like my family really did allow for me to, to really explore and just kind of like make it my own. And so, so I've always gravitated towards books. You know, sometimes I'll, sometimes I won't even start a new book. I'll go back to one of my favorites books just because I know well, it like- What are some of your favorite books? I mean, there's so many. Um, obviously, The Giver is definitely on there. Um, I love, there's just, there's a lot of children books. I resonate with them because like, that was what I grew up on. But there's this, it's called Charlie Bone series. It's kind of mm-hmm. similar to Harry Potter, but not really. Mm-hmm. Um, it resonates uh, really uh, well with me. Um, so yeah, those are just a couple of the books that, you know, like really stand out to me. A lot of my books that I read when I was younger that hit hit differently now, um, just because I'm older. Um, but so you do a lot of rereading. Yeah, I like to do a lot of rereadings um, of books that that I mean, there was like a book. Okay, I can't remember the name of it, but it was like Alien for Breakfast, Lunch and Dinner, or something like that. It was like a children's series. Mm-hmm. Like I read that book again, and that hit differently. Like it was really fast read, but like. I remember going to school and they used to have like the scholastic book fairs and that was yeah, like, yeah. that like, I love that. And so I remember like, I would just spend all my time at that place, like writing down, filling out, asking my parents, how much can, how many books can I get? Like, mm-hmm. uh, this list, like, yeah, I, I've learned that like, I have so many books to read, but sometimes just going back to a book that you haven't read in years, like makes you feel this level of nostalgia. and. Um, it just like, it, I don't know, it like brings warmth to me. Like it brings a lot of like feelings growing up. Plus all it makes me reflect on like 
when I was reading those books when I was a child, I was in a different point in my life and how I didn't have words to describe kind of the way I was feeling growing up and, you know, books were that outlet. And so now it like looking back and reflecting on that, like it just hits different. And uh -huh. um, I make, it makes me like, man, you were so resilient as a child, like, and yeah. books were your way to like, cope with trauma, cope with world events that things that impacted you and yeah. So why did you choose this book? Why is this a book that like so resonated with you that when I asked you a book you want to read, this is the book you said? Yeah. So there are like a couple of reasons. There is this theme of like feeling and emotion mm -hmm. that are mm -hmm. kind of some of the central themes of, of the book. And mm -hmm talking about this like a community that, you know, in the book talks about this community that doesn't really understand emotion or pain. And I realized that like to feel human, that you have to be able to experience both the kind of the good emotions and the bad emotions. And, you know, I go back to my childhood, like I had a lot of like mixed emotions, things that I couldn't put words. And so that's why it resonated so much with me because like this book was talking about like, hey, let me just take away this like pain. You all live in this same community and you don't have to endure any of this like trauma and pain, but then you lose who you are and your identity as an individual. And I just felt that like, by like taking away feeling and emotion, like you lose who you are, you lose your identity. And, and so like seeing the main character Jonas kind of going through this like realization and progression and growth really resonates with me. And so that's the reason I chose this book, this like feeling emotion. And um, huh. yeah, like that, like that was the main reason why I chose this book because I feel like it has a way to like make people feel. And at some point I feel like there is a moment in this book that anyone can relate to, whether it happens to be this feeling and emotion or feeling about like freedom and choice, like these options or like individual versus society. I feel like somewhere in this book is a story that someone can resonate with um, or a theme that can resonate with. And yeah, it's one of those books that you can't put down after you start reading it. And yeah, I think, it and I think there's, and I think there's, there are, I think in my opinion, you might, you might think it's different, but I think there are very few books that can just capture you with words and I think this is one of those books that just can capture you and make you feel all the feels um, and just beautiful writing. It really is stunning. I, you know, what you said here about the fact that this is a book about emotions and that on a certain level, the, the fact that the receiver, it's their job to contain all of the negative emotions yeah. and to an extent, all of the positive emotions. So it's almost like these folks are automatons. And I'm thinking about 
it, it, it doesn't read that way, right? Like, but the way you just said it made me think about this book differently already, which is why I like talking about books with people because you, there's this scene in the book where one of the things that happens every day in the family unit is that when you sit down at dinner, you talk about your feelings, right? This is like one of the like societal rules is that everyone shares their feelings. And Jonas, once he becomes receiver and he starts understanding the complexity of human feelings, like the complexity of anger or pain or love, realizes that this exercise is not really uh, true, right? That like his sister, in fact, did not feel anger. No, did not. Or that his father or mother did not really feel frustration because they don't understand what those feelings actually mean. It's like it's been programmed out of the people in the community to understand what feelings are. So that is not something I had really thought about. I I picked up on the theme of feelings, but I hadn't thought about it as you lose your humanity if you don't have access to thinking about your feelings. Yeah, and so like there's this quote in the book that I think both of us may resonated with, but uh, there's a couple, but this is the one that really, the worst part of holding the memories is not the pain, it's the loneliness of it. Memories need to be shared. And I think that yeah. like not being able to share those memories and being able to connect with humans, um, you lose that humanity. And so you can see Jonas, um, like feeling that loneliness and those memories that only he can relate to besides the other giver or the other receiver. And so knowing wanting so badly with his two friends uh, to connect with them in that level and having the deeper connection, not being able to have that, you know, just proof his point that memories do need to be shared and that, that, that memories are a connection to feelings and emotion and yeah. And, uh, and so by, by like creating this, like, uniformity of like sameness you know you take away choices and decisions that you get to make you get to take away that kind of that human element of decision making and so yeah and then I mean there's even a quote in there that's saying that even talks about like wanting to wake up and um, make decisions and you know it's the choosing that that's important so yeah and I think by making everything kind of the same and taking away that emotion and and feeling, you know, you're, you're taking away the choosing aspect. So there's a protective element, right? Like the, the society seems to have made a decision that it's going to make a series of choices for people so that they are protected from danger or they are protected from pain. And it's, it's all kinds of things. It's everything from who your partner in life will be to what your profession is to what you wear, to when you're able to ride a bicycle, to, you know, I mean, just literally every single decision is made for you by the society. And it's, it's really a protective mechanism that the society put in place, right? Yes, they definitely, they definitely put it in a way to like, cure, and so people wouldn't have to feel like hunger, and, you know, pain, right? Feeling shame, like they want to take that away, so that way that 
you know, this one person society can be the holder of that and help guide them. But I think there's, and you know, you throughout the book, you see Jonas struggling with this thing where he's like, you know, I like seeing that, like, like people need, need, it's going back to like the human element, like people need the bad experiences and the hurt and stuff to really feel and, and feel that. And I, I don't know this, but there is this protective element here, but like, who are you protecting it from? Who are you protecting these individuals from experiences? And, you know, it made me think about like some of the things that they were doing to protect uh, the uh, protect the society, like, you know, releasing people, um, you know, which is what was a form of killing, like, and how horrific that is, but not even knowing that is something that's horrific, like not even knowing that, like that's so robotic and there's no feeling to that. You just, like uh, that goes back to my point of like losing the human element, like this like idea of sameness and the eliminate kind of differences of its members and so, you know, individualism is discouraged. <laughs> Everyone's the same. And, you know, it makes me think of like, you know, there have been several receivers for generations and generations the way that the book meant, like how lonely it is to have all those feelings and emotions and not being able to talk to anyone about it. And, and that's where it goes back to that quote where like memories are meant to be shared because I think like, I don't know if I could do that if I was, if I could do that. And so, you know, they talk about the giver's daughter, Rosemary, who, who asked to be released because I just genuinely think she couldn't handle it anymore because of, of having- Well, he, yeah, I mean, he says, well, one question I had for you, and I don't know if this is like important or not, but I mean, do you think Rosemary is really his like real biological daughter? Or do you think that Rosemary was like, he's referring to her as a daughter in the sense of she was the one who was selected the last time and she ended up asking to be released, which is why they changed the rules to say you can't ask to be released if you're the receiver. So I definitely think in my personal opinion, I think that there was some sort of connection prior to her being selected as the new receiver in terms of their relationship, whether that happened to be that person, that the giver's child that he raised, or I just felt like there's a, there was a connection prior to her being chosen as the new receiver that they had. Um, so that just, that is my opinion. I don't know if that's true or not of how the author intended it to be, but I do believe there was some sort of relationship prior, whether they raised them or. Uh... Yeah. Well, I mean, you know, one of the, one of the reasons that I think this book is quite powerful and obviously has staying power is because, you know, Lois Lowry intentionally leaves a lot of these questions up to the reader. And in fact, you know, I, I put this on the quote sheet because there's a, a great quote in the, in my copy, Lois Lowry wrote an introduction, I guess it's like a 20th anniversary edition or something. Mm -hmm. And she says, that, you know, a book is, is sacrosanct, such an individual and private thing. The reader brings his or her own history and beliefs and concerns and reads in solitude, creating each scene from his own imagination as he does. And that's why, like, you know, I, I just asked, because for me, I don't think that Rosemary was actually like his biological daughter. I think that he just referred to her as 
a daughter because he really only had, because he, he was the only one capable of having feelings to be able to understand what an actual daughter relationship would be like a, like a father daughter relationship. Nobody, nobody else in the community has the ability to understand anything on those levels because they don't have biological children. Right. They have these people. I mean, this is very handmaid's tale to a certain extent, you know, they have birth mothers who, give birth to these babies, they're raised for a year, and then they're given to a family. And it seems like there's only 50 people per year who get children, and they're only allowed one son and one daughter. So, but I think it goes back to that quote you just read that like, the reader brings their own history, beliefs, concerns, and, and kind of create those different scenes in their own imagination. And I think that's perfectly fine. And I think and I think it's the beauty of the way the author have, has wrote, Lois Lowry has wrote this book that like kind of leaves it up to the, the reader. Um, and I think a lot of people can't do that. And she does that beautifully. You know, we're spending a lot of time on the pain part. What really instigated this for Jonas was the feeling of love. Yeah. It was the memory of seeing a family together with multiple generations. Grandparents, yeah. Grandparents that Jonas says, well, why can't we have that, right? Like, yeah, there's pain, but also why can't we have love in our lives? And then you can see that when he asks his father, do you love me? And you can see that like the response was not what he thought it was. And it also just shows the way that the, the utopian society has used language to kind of control this like sameness, like words like love are out, uh, obsolete, like they're ambiguous, they're broad. And so, yeah. yeah um, and that's when I go back to, to like why emotion and feeling are so important because like you you lose like Jonas didn't even know prior to getting that feeling like what love was what was a feeling of grandparents the feeling of warmth like he would never have known that if he hadn't gotten the memories of that and so like that's where I go back to like this this like saying like um is it worth giving up the experience of like beauty and joy and in love in order to just end pain and suffering this is one of the questions you wrote this is one of the th- questions I've been grappling with. Say it again. So is it worth giving up the experience of beauty and joy and love in order to end pain and suffering? Because that's literally what they did in this society. Mm-hmm. And my question is, it is not worth it. That's your response. That is my response. So, I mean, you know, one of the things that you said, and I'd be interested in you just reflecting on this, you said at the beginning of the podcast that you used reading as a child as a way to escape loneliness and suffering. Yeah. And here we have a book that has as its central theme, the idea that we could end pain and suffering. Yeah. How do those resonate for you? I think for me, where... 
I would want to take kind of pain and suffering is that you lose, like, I'm a strong believer in the power of choosing and the power of feeling. And having that being taken away from you, like, was kind of the straw for me, like, you know, I, I just like, I just can't fathom a life where like you lose who I am by just like ending pain and suffering. So yeah. And then in terms of like, you know, I use reading as an escape and having to deal with kind of my, my pain and like struggles and stuff like that. For me, the book showed me like, showed me the joy and beauty of like an alternative like reality of like how it could be in terms of um yes i'm feeling this way in this moment but i know it gets better and then like even this book you're thinking about it like at the very end like i think for me what i like reflects most is that the jonas's growth from the time that he started to the end, it's very similar to kind of like, like even though like my story is not similar to his at all, but I just feel like the growth of his as an individual, like, well, why can't we have love, warmth and stuff like that and feelings and emotion? Like, I like really resonate with him. And I don't really know if that answers your thing question, but like it, um, yeah. Yeah, I mean, you know, the, the re- part of the reason that I'm thinking about this is because, you know, there is this moment, and I think you pulled one of these quotes out actually, where once, um, once Jonas made the decision to leave with Gabe and, and they're escaping and they're, you know, and then they, they get out into the quote unquote, you know, real world and they're cold and they're hungry. And, you know, it's, it's this, it's this whole, it is this whole thing about choice. Like, the whole reason society got rid of choice is to not only to protect you from pain, but also to make it so that you don't make the wrong choice. Yeah. And, and then, you know, maybe you, maybe you can read this quote from page 217. So I'm going to read this quote. So it was as simple as that. Once he had yearned for choice, then when he had a choice, he had made the wrong one, the choice to leave. Mm-hmm. Now he was starving, but if he had stayed, And then the thoughts continue. If he had stayed, he would have starved in other ways. He would have lived a life hungry for feelings, for color, for love. And I think that ending on page 218, that quote, like, I think for me, like, I would feel the same way. I'd be hungry for feeling love and color. And so the power of choosing, like, I think makes you human. The power of choosing makes you human. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I, there's another part of the story in terms of choice that I think, again, really intriguing to write for a young adult novel, probably really difficult for a teacher to teach. I would think I wouldn't know how to handle this. And this is, this is the whole conversation in the book about sex and adolescence, what they call the stirrings. stirrings. Um, And they've concocted some sort of pill that basically cuts off your libido it cuts off your it probably you know does something to cut off your testosterone or estrogen levels and makes it so that you don't have any sort of emotive response and you know jonas seems to have a thing for this fiona character and Mm -hmm. he purposely stops taking 
his pill in order to allow that feeling to develop. And I just thought that it was such a, it was such a fascinating thing for him even to share his dream about wanting to give a bath to Fiona, like a, cause they had, they had worked at the old people's house. And that was one of the quotes that I had pulled out was that, you know, Jonas had shared his dream and his father had said, can you describe the strongest feeling in your dream son? And Jonas says the, the wanting. Yeah. I knew that she wouldn't. And I think I knew that she shouldn't, but I wanted it so terribly. I could feel the wanting all through me. Yeah. Yeah. That's so vivid. Like, and I think that goes back to like, you're taking away like an experience and a feeling of like what it means to be, I mean, we all, we've all felt that way. Like we've all gone through that. And so to take away, like is taking away a piece of who you are. And, and, you know, thinking about like the, the pills and like sex and stuff like that, thinking about like they, the communities decided who you would marry, who you were compatible with, you, they would choose, you know, like the child, if you were given one, like all these choices were made for you. And it like rubbed me the wrong way. <laughs> well, I mean, it's dystopian, but I, you know, I think part of the reason that I was thinking about that section was not just because how do you talk to kids about sex in, in a certain way, but I was also thinking about it in relation to the questions that, to the question that you asked Um, And, you know, your question was, do you want to give up beauty and joy and love in order to end pain and suffering? This idea of the stirring and and the way that Jonas describes it as a wanting is, is also, it also means that you would be giving up desire. Yeah. I think desire is an interesting, complicated set of emotions that sort of comes up in the book. Like there's some concept of desire in the terms of when they're preparing for the ceremony of 12, Mm -hmm. they talk, you know, Jonas is thinking like, well, there are certain jobs I don't want to be given, right? Like I don't want to work at the fish hatchery, for example. Um, (laughs) But there's not the sense of like the desire to want something for yourself. And so I don't know, I don't know what the question is, but I just, I I think there's like some complicated stuff going on there with maybe a question about individual need versus community need. Mm -hmm. And I'm still grappling with it because I think, you know, on some level, this community is very interdependent. Everybody has a role. Everybody has a place. It's nice to be in an interdependent community. It's nice to not be selfish, right? There's, there's things about this that are like utopian in some way. Yeah. Uh, and yet that steals all of your individuality. Yeah. It's individual versus society or individual versus like community. So I just, you know, I wonder what the larger theme is there that she's trying to grapple with as so many of these books try to do, these dystopian books are really trying to always grapple with these larger moral and social questions around issues related to 
the needs of a society? When are people being selfish? When is it bad for the species? I mean, I don't know. I just think, I think it's a really complicated question that the book left me with. I want to explain to you like what this book did to me, man, because I, I was distraught after I read this, like I sat down, I guess this was probably is today, Thursday. So I sat down probably maybe on like Monday or yeah, it must've been Monday that I, I sat down and I was like, ready to go. I knew this wasn't going to be a hard read. So I I laid down in bed in the afternoon. I started reading. I'm plowing through the book. I'm plowing through the book. And, and then I got to, you know, I was really intrigued by the whole dystopian nature of it. Like I said, I was surprised. I thought the book was about something different. And then it was like actually about this dystopian society and it's kind of sci-fi. And, and so I'm really into it. And then Jonas gets selected as receiver and he starts getting, he starts receiving the memories. Yeah. So I'm like, okay, what's, you know, like, I'm really intrigued by the whole thing. And the first memory is, you know, experiencing cold. They have no seasons in this place that they live. They've created a climate controlled environment. So, you know, I'm, I'm remembering my own experiences growing up in the North, like sledding mm-hmm. while I'm doing it, right? It's very visceral. You feel the cold air, you feel the wetness, all this kind of stuff. Um, I'm able to bring that, my own memory to that reading. But man, for me, I had to put the book down once I got to pages 126 and 127, which is, this is kind of like the start of him learning about bad memories. Yeah. And it's this memory of the massacre of the elephant yeah. for Ron. It screwed me up. <laughs> I would say the F word, but you know, I'm going to put this out in the real world and I don't want Amazon <laughs> to, to uh, tell me that I can't put it out because it's explicit. But <laughs> no, it really, it really screwed me up when I got to page 126 and 127. And I, I think I, t- I, I think I put this in the notes that I sent you mm-hmm. is that to me, this is one of the most beautiful passages of literature that I have ever read. Just this one little section, even though it is incredibly painful, it's also incredibly beautiful. So the, for those who haven't read the book, the, you know, the memory that uh, Jonas is receiving is, is an elephant getting slaughtered for ivory. Um, And so there's this vivid description of uh, the tusks being cut away from the dead elephant that and blood everywhere and all of this kind of stuff, the men leave. And then this is the part that I just I I had to put the book down and I was screwed up for the rest of the day was and I'm going to read it because it's very beautiful. This is Jonas remembering the memory. Now he saw another elephant emerge from the place where it had stood hidden in the trees. Very slowly, it walked to the mutilated body and looked down. With its sinuous trunk, 
it stroked the huge corpse. Then it reached up, broke some leafy branches with a snap, and draped them over the mass of torn, thick flesh. Finally, it tilted its massive head, raised its trunk, and roared into the empty landscape. Jonas had never heard such a sound. It was a sound of rage and grief, and it seemed never to end. Mm. Man, I, even now, I get, yeah. my eyes are watering. Yeah. That is so painful. Yeah. And for me, like, man, you know, when I read that the other day, and then I'm reading it now, and it is just like, that is what makes, like you said, how does someone create that visual imagery of this elephant mourning the death of its elephant friend or partner or family member or whatever the case is, and I just can't handle it. And I could not sleep on Monday night because yeah. of that. I was like literally so upset. And, and it, 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 because it just, it shows us how terrible we are yeah. as a species to other living things on the planet, not just to other humans, but to other living things. And just like all, and then all the other memories that he ends up getting you know, that he ends up receiving about war and hunger and just all this kind of stuff. It is, man, Faran, I just, I kind of cursed you out a little bit (laughs) because I was like, this book is not, it's just, it's very painful Yeah. uh, in a lot of ways. It's a very, very painful read. And then I, and then I was thinking about, you know, this is a young adult book. This is like a book for like 12 or 13 year old kids. And I just thought, God, how do you, how do you teach this to children? I mean, I think it's important, obviously it's incredibly important, but how would you even go about teaching it? Yeah. I, I don't have an answer to that, but I feel like, and this is the beauty of it that I feel like it causes you, it causes people emotion and feelings, which is a central key point of the whole book. And so it makes you realize kind of things about society. And mm-hmm. yeah, I will say that maybe, you know, as a 12 year old, I, it made me feel, but I think going back now, like it makes me feel even more. I You read able, it as a child. I read this book as a child. You read it for school or you read it just of your own accord? I read it because it was on a approved reading list for um, accelerated reader. Uh, uh-huh. it was just like on the list of like books that you might want to read I was like oh the giver like I wonder what that's a book about checked it out and literally like I think I maybe read that book like two or three times in that same week because it's a fast read and it is but it it hits deep as you know and so yeah I had never heard of this uh this book um prior to that and uh yeah it it I will definitely say it's the book that also like I remember the most of all any book that I've ever read like Mm -hmm. I mean for multiple reasons but just the way like it makes you feel in the moment you know I read it 
I felt a lot, but like thinking now, like maybe I wouldn't have thought as a 12 year old or 10 year, I don't remember when I was like 10 or 11 when I read it about the tusk and the, the elephant, like that hits deeper now than it did back then because I'm older and I understand that more, but it made me feel, it still makes me feel I got emotional reading it. Oh, it's, it's so emotional. I mean, even, you know, so I put the book down and I, I, I just couldn't anymore on Monday night. And then, like I told you, I did not sleep very well. And then Tuesday, um, you know, I finished it. And when I was done, I was just like, I was just pacing in the apartment. Yeah. And, um, you know, there, I, I can really say this, like there are very few books in the world that have ever made me like, I don't want to say it's like speechless, but it's just like, it, it's so visceral to me what happens in this text that I was, I just, I was, ugh, I was like tense and stressed out and, and the ending is so ambiguous, you know, you don't really like know so many things uh, at the end and you want to like figure these things out. And so I was like pacing the apartment and Derek's like, what is wrong with you? Like, it's just a book, you know? And I'm like, no, Derek, this is not like, this is like, a, this is like some other shit. You know what I'm saying? It's, it's like, there's so many things to process about what happens in this, in the, at the end of this book, even. Um, it leaves you wanting more. And, and at the same time, it leaves me not wanting more like it's it's powerful enough that I don't necessarily need to like know you know like the the, the way the story ends and sorry plot alert you know spoilers we always do that on this podcast but it's mm-hmm. you know the way that the, the the story ends is is just literally like Jonas and Gabe ride a sled down a hill and they reach elsewhere and they reach elsewhere yeah. And you have to wonder, well, what is elsewhere? Yeah. And, you know, it's, it's interesting is because that memory that Jonas had of going down was the same memory that the giver had given him. Yes. That's how he knew that the sled was there at the top of the hill. And yeah. Which makes and you I, wonder if the, if the giver is also prophetic. Right, right. Or an oracle. Yeah, I um, and so I the reason I say you know leaves you wanting more is because I want to know what happened to Gabe, what happened to Jonas? Did they like give all the memories back? Is everyone fine in society now? Like, but then I think that's the beauty of the author is where she leaves it up to you to imagine what that looks like. I would like to talk a little bit if we have time to talk. We about, have time. Yeah. I'd like to talk about like memory, like mm. the memory, um, mm-hmm. because I feel like I think the, the, the key thing with memory is like people like actively chose to give up, give up their memories, like these memories to create and eliminate pain on their own. But I think without, I think that Jonas throughout the, the book realizes that 
that without memories, a person can't really learn from mistakes or celebrate accomplishments, kind of no love or happiness or any other deep emotion or, or, or growth as an individual without these memories. And so, you know, memory isn't just like a mental exercise. Like, you know, in the book, you can see like when Jonas, you know, you know, feels like feels memories, like when he feels like things about snow, right? He actually feels the cold. Like, I think there is something about this concept of memory in the book that like, you know, I think the author like really emphasizes kind of the preciousness of memory, like the author does and like kind of how it's power, it, it has the power to really guide influence in like kind of enrich life. I think that's just my personal take on like the concept of memory, like, and that's how like, you can see how Lowry at least emphasizes how memory is being, is being used. Yeah, no, it's a good question. I don't know why I didn't think to talk about memory, but given that he's the receiver of memories. So, yeah, I, I think there's just like this, this notion of memory and like, and it's connected to choice, it's connected to, to feelings and emotion. But I think that what's sticking with me is like, that Jonas has this realization that like without memory, you can't learn, you can't make mistakes, you can't celebrate those accomplishments and you can't really grow as an individual. And so I think that memories really, and, and I think author, like I said, like, but really memories really help influence, guide, and really enrich life. And you can see that like when the giver is asked about like if they should give, allow each individual person, like a family, an additional child and like using oh. memory as a guide to be like, well, first thing that came to me was hunger. And then kind of the, the piece where like the more people they have in the community, how it could uh, cause starvation, which can lead to warfare, like using memories as a way to influence and guide the individual's life. And it wasn't that they wanted to know the story behind that. They just wanted to know yes or no. But the giver had the memory to make those choices in terms of, you know, uh, learning from the mistakes and stuff like that to give that answer, which I think that's really important that like you need to be able to have those memories because you can't grow from that. You can't learn from that. You can't learn from those mistakes. And so I think there's something about like this concept of memory, like that are really import important, uh, like theme of the book. Yeah, I, the thing that I'm thinking about in terms of the memory question that you asked has to do with not just how individuals remember, but how we have cultural memory. Yeah. And, and how memory is passed down. I mean, this, this idea that he receives the memories from the giver as like an act of physical touch, right? Like they're, they're only... Jonas can only receive the memories when the, the giver is actually physically touching him. So there's, there is like an embodied notion of how memory functions. And then there's also this idea of cultural memory being passed down through books. Right. You know, it's, he's the, the giver is the only one who has access to all of the history of the world, all of the literature, all of the knowledge, um, the poetry, whatever. And that, you know, is a different way of thinking about like how we structure memory or even the scene where you know, I was intrigued that his favorite scene 
was this scene of a family together at a holiday. It's quite obviously Christmas um, or a winter holiday of some sort. But I, I was intrigued by the fact that like part of what made Jonas like that was because there's also the, the concept of like your family has a history. Yeah. And if you don't have generations of family, then you don't have the memory of your family unit. Right. You don't have the, the memories of, uh, of your, your grandparents and the experiences. And so like those memories that have been passed down for you is a form of storytelling that is used to make decisions. So I think about like the memories, at least the Pakistani community that's been passed down or the Muslim community and the ancestors that have passed that down impact directly how I make decisions, how I live my life and choices that I make in this world and and things that I guide and value. And so, yeah, those memories, like by not having them, you're not able to have that kind of the full picture to to be able to do that. And so, yeah, I... I, um, this cultural knowledge that you have and yeah, I don't know where I'm going with that, but like, yes, that's where I agree with you. The, you know, the family units in the story don't have any really sort of, it just seems like they're the word I keep thinking of is like pods. Yeah. They don't, they don't have any emotive tissue connecting them. It's just like the father, the mother, the daughter and the son, but I don't even know that they really, I'm trying to remember if they even call them daughter and son. I think they just called them child. Yeah. I don't think they mention like daughter or son or anything like that at all. Yeah. Do you have any kind of like other closing thoughts about the book or anything that you feel like we didn't talk about that you really wanted to talk about? I think everyone sure did. So no, I think we covered everything. I just, I think I just want to like, like reiterate just that, like, you know, this like thing that I mentioned, is it worth giving up experiences of beauty, joy, and love and, or, and desire? I would add that in that. Yeah, and, desire. In order to end pain and suffering. And that is a question that I, that I have grappled with um, the many iterations or many times that I've read this this book mm-hmm. and um yeah if you asked me when i was younger maybe it'd be a different answer but i i strongly believe in that like you need to have feelings and emotions and memories well i'm so appreciative of your questions i mean you asked two really profound questions of the book that i guess i really hadn't spent a lot of time thinking about and that was the question you just asked and the question about memory Mm -hmm. Um, and this is why I love talking about books with people because they, you know, you like, like Lowry says in the intro, you know, people bring their own stuff to the book and it's helpful to, to enhance the richness of what it is that we think about in a book. So I just loved the book. It's very powerful. Yeah. Um, I really appreciate you picking it and spending time with me to talk about it. It's great. Yeah, yeah, of course. And if anyone else is, you know, wanting to read this, please give it a read. Um, and yeah, it's like phenomenal book, and I encourage everyone to to read it. It's a short read, but it's a powerful read. 
short but powerful. Totally agree with you on that. Yeah. Cool, man. Well, thanks so much. Yeah, of course. Thank you for having me. Farhan Saeed is a PhD candidate in the Language, Equity, and Educational Policy program at Oregon State University. He holds a Master of Arts in Higher Education Administration from Louisiana State University's College of Human Sciences and Education, and a Bachelor of Science in Biochemistry from the University of Memphis. His research interests currently focus on Muslim identity development, and how Muslim students navigate and construct their religious identity on university and college campuses. Farhan serves on the NASPA leadership team of the Spirituality and Religion Knowledge Community and on the board of directors of Convergence, a national organization focused on enhancing institutional climates for religious, secular, and spiritual identities through policy and practice. Prior to returning to graduate school to pursue his doctorate, he worked for several years at Madison House, the Student Volunteer Center at the University of Virginia, as the Director of Community Engagement. Additionally, he has experience doing diversity, equity, and inclusion work, higher education assessment, and developing social justice curricula. You can contact Veron via email F-S-A-E-E-D at Outlook.com or follow him on social media on Twitter at Farhan Saeed and on Instagram at F Saeed. I'm always open to your comments, suggestions, and insights. Feel free to email me, risoreader at gmail.com or contact me through the Rhizomatic Reader Instagram account at risoreader. You can listen again, share this conversation, and rate our podcast on SoundCloud, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or Google Play, where you can also listen to an unedited version of my conversation with Farhan. We further discuss the complicated ethical and moral questions in the book, including release, the ambiguous ending of the book, and whether having access to knowledge leads to suffering. You can find a transcript of this conversation and show notes on the episodes link of our website, www.risoreader.com. Our theme music is composed by Leo Sokolovsky, copyright free and available on SoundCloud. All music in today's episode is copyright free and used with appropriate permissions. My name is Peyton, and this has been The Rhizomatic Reader. Mm-hmm.